Merry Christmas. So great to see you tonight. I'd like to read for you from Luke chapter 2. This is starting with verse 4. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, cloths rather, and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word about what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Many of you are familiar with A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, yet it's another Dickens work that I would like to point your attention to for a moment. He begins his book, A Tale of Two Cities, this way. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness, it was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity, it was the season of light, it was the season of darkness, it was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. How greatly those words seem to describe the season we find ourselves in tonight, in this year of all years. We are celebrating the best of times, Christmas in one of the worst of times as COVID-19 surges again. Have Dickens' words ever been more true? Dickens not only used that opposite pairing of best and worst, he also invoked wisdom and foolishness, light and darkness, hope and despair. Makes me think of that carol that we sometimes sing that says, A weary world rejoices. And so it is when we talk about hope and light at Christmas. We cannot fully understand light except in the concept, uh, context of darkness. We cannot fully appreciate the power of hope apart from the context of despair. So without ignoring the reality of the darkness and despair around us, we're going to focus even more on the treasures of the light and hope that arrived in the world when God sent Jesus to Bethlehem. So Merry Christmas 
I am so glad that you are able to join us for Christmas Eve at North River. This is the first of three services for us. I love celebrating Christmas with our church family. So let me say a hello to those friends who are watching online, sometimes in different towns or different states as far away as North Carolina and California and friends in Illinois and Vermont and New Hampshire and New York. We're glad that all of you are, are watching and that are part of this today. I also want to say a special shout out to Gail and Kingston. I know that your health prevented you from coming tonight, but you are so much a part of North River right now. Tonight, our theme is Hope Arrives. And here's the central idea. When we talk here at North River, most often we have one controlling idea that the whole service is built around, and this is it. With the arrival of Jesus, hope penetrates the darkness, revealing God's ability to make the broken whole in Jesus. Let me explain where that comes from. This month, we've been taking a fresh look at people who were in and around the original Christmas scenes. All of them were in danger of spending Christmas on the margins. And so each week, we have seen how God brings people who are living on the margins in regard to how they were viewed in this world, and yet God's intervention brings them from the margins to the middle of what God was unveiling in His plan of redemption. This exercise reminds us that while life might seem confusing or shrouded in darkness, God continues to draw us from the margins to the middle of his mission in the world. So today's question is, why is Christmas so impactful 2,000 years later? I would assume that most everybody here knows the basic facts of Christmas. Why does it still have such an impact on us? I'm going to talk about some hope-filled Christmas secrets. Here's number one. Hope shines most brightly in the darkness. Hope shines most brightly in the darkness. Verses 15 to 18 in that passage I just read tell us a little bit about what happened when the angels left the shepherds. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word about what, they, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The Christmas story begins in great darkness. Israel was in a time of darkness under Rome's oppression. Joseph and Mary were beginning life together in a time of darkness. They were traveling against their desires in her ninth month of pregnancy just to satisfy another season of rising taxes. The shepherds were tending their sheep at night when cold and wind would fill the skies. We've all grown to love the scene where the angels fill the sky with songs and brightness. The brightness factor comes from the realization that the glory of the Lord shone around them when the angel of the Lord first appeared to the shepherds. I can only imagine that with more angels rather than the one who began the announcement, there was even more brightness in the skies. So turn your attention for a moment to the message from the heavenly host, the choir of angels up in the sky. First they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The promise was for peace, not peace as we often think of it, not just the absence of warfare. The Hebrew word used here doesn't simply mean that, it means so much more. It's the Hebrew word shalom, 
It means well-being. It means the desire to make things whole again or the ability to make things whole again. When the favor of God rests on us, hurting people can become whole again. When the favor of God rests upon a family, it can experience the wholeness of God despite the fracturing that has gone on before. When the favor of God rests on a community or on a congregation, we together can experience wave after wave after wave of the fullness or wholeness of God. And all of that is wrapped up in that simple statement when the angel said that peace would come to those on whom God's favor rests. As bright as the angel's light was, Jesus is the great light in the darkness. What sent the shepherds singing through the streets after the angels left them? The shepherds rushed down from the hills to the town of Bethlehem, and then they saw Joseph and Mary and Jesus who had nothing but the favor and peace of God. Every other aspect of glory had been stripped away. It was so humbling for Jesus to be born in that stable. Yet they were filled with hope. The shepherds were filled with hope because they had seen Jesus. That's what sent them running through the streets, praising God and singing in the night. Those fields and skies would never light up like that again. But people do when hope rises above the darkness, bringing the shalom of God, the peace of God that renews and restores. You and I live in the midst of such brokenness, broken dreams, broken lives, broken government systems, and it all makes us cynical. Broken promises, sometimes broken families and broken hopes. The world got this way because of human evil and rebellion against God. That's the context for hope arriving. But Christmas tells us that God has pierced the darkness and has begun the long process of counteracting thousands of years of dark things by sending Jesus. Hope arrives when Jesus is born. A theologian from more than 100 years ago J. Gresham Machen, who was one of the founders of Westminster Seminary, wrote this, Dark and gloomy would be the world if we were left to our own devices and had no blessed word of God. In his writing, the word word is capitalized in the way that John did in the gospel, speaking of Jesus as the word of God in the flesh. So here's the first secret. Hope shines most brightly in the darkness. Here's the second the Lord of Christmas can turn ordinary workers into heralds of hope. One verse, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. When Bethlehem shepherds went to work that night, they had no idea of what was about to unfold. They had no idea that this would be anything other than an ordinary night that they would hear from angels, that they would be the first other than Mary and Joseph to see Jesus. Think about that. That people 2,000 years ago would put them on Christmas cards and sing about them. They had no idea at the beginning of that night. Have you ever noticed how God repeatedly chooses the unlikely? Here he chooses unnamed, uneducated shepherds to become unlikely heralds of hope. 30 years later, Jesus would choose a dozen fishermen, common workers, and a tax collector to become the disciples who would launch the church that continues to change the world. Only two things 
had changed for those shepherds that night. The first is the message that hope has arrived with the birth of Jesus. The second was one essential piece of evidence. They were told by the angel that they would find Jesus, find the child lying in a manger. And they rushed down to see if things would unfold exactly the way the angel told them. And they were overjoyed when they found Mary and Joseph and Jesus lying in a simple animal trough that was designed for feeding sheep and pigs and cows and who knows what other kinds of animals. God continues to turn ordinary people into heralds of hope today. On Tuesday, I watched two men who are fairly new to North River and who didn't know each other more than a month ago package up boxes of food and deliver them with great joy to elderly people in Pembroke who needed food assistance. And so North River's GO team in that moment partnered with the Pembroke Council of Aging and these two guys had an absolute ball that afternoon making these deliveries to 10 families. A week ago Monday, a lawyer in open court read a letter from a gang member in prison about how a friend of mine had helped him while he was advising him on how to turn his life around while my friend was also a guest of that same house of correction. Can you imagine that? God continues to turn ordinary people, ordinary workers into heralds of hope because Jesus has arrived. See, here's the idea that we're chasing here tonight. With the arrival of Jesus, hope penetrates the darkness Revealing God's ability to make the broken whole in Jesus. Here's a third secret. The Lord of Christmas can turn the humblest of starts into sources of hope. Verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, for there was no guest room available for them. Have you ever wondered how a simple manger became such a sign of hope to the world? We put manger scenes on our mantles. We put manger scenes in our front yard sometimes. There's one out here on the, on the lawn. We put them on our Christmas cards. But it's a feeding trough. That's how it was designed, right? How did... A feeding trough, a simple manger, becomes such a powerful sign of hope to the world. When young moms are expecting a newborn child, they do something that dads come to discover. It's a whole new concept called nesting. Ever heard that word? The term nesting comes from observing how birds build a nest in the spring for their babies. Human mothers naturally do the same thing. They try to make everything just right. I remember when our firstborn was coming, my wife didn't understand me that I wasn't nesting and everything about her life in that moment was designed to creating the perfect place for this child to live and to be nurtured and to be safe. And she was wondering why I didn't have that instinct. I'm not a mom. I wasn't born with it. I had to learn it from my wonderful wife. This is why there are so many jokes about how if the wise men had only been accompanied by the wise women, their gifts would have been so much more practical. (laughs) 
Yet here we see Mary arriving in Bethlehem on her due date with no room in the inn, no guest room at the family's tribal home, yet turning an animal's feeding trough, a manger, into a crib in which to lay Jesus as he slept. This is creative, impromptu nesting at its absolute finest, working with what you have, not worrying about what you don't have. The ultimate example of nesting. Have you ever wondered why God would choose a stable and the manger for Jesus. A savior of the world. He could have chosen some uber wealthy couple and the nicest guest room in town. He could have commissioned a craftsman like Noah to build the finest crib, a crib so big that everybody would marvel over it and would make the people at Babies R Us green with envy. Instead, he chose the humblest of starts for launching the kingdom of God in Jesus. Jesus didn't need the trappings of power or wealth to inaugurate his kingdom. He reigns through truth and love in the hearts of people who acknowledge him as God's very own son. Jesus didn't arrive demanding a Learjet for his ministry. Always be suspicious of anyone who does. He was born in a stable. He calls the rich and the poor, the young and the old, the healthy and the sick, the wise and the foolish. Here with North River Church, 32 years ago, the Lord used 10 friends in a rented schoolroom and then an empty storefront to launch a church that over more than 30 years has impacted hundreds and even thousands of people. I love how God did that from nothing. No matter how humble, God can turn your simple start into a source of hope. What if... Thinking back on how God starts so humbly and takes little things and does great work with them. What if you offered your home for a small group Bible study fellowship this year and watch how God does something great out of something small? What if you offered your acts of kindness for God to use in reaching your neighbors with a message of hope this year in a way that goes far beyond anything you've ever thought of doing before? See, with the arrival of Jesus, hope always penetrates the darkness, revealing God's ability to make the broken whole in Jesus. Dr. Curtis Cheng notes that the world has three dominant responses to problems. The first is to isolate. Get as far from the problems as you possibly can. The second would be to ignore. Pretend that it's not our problem. If we pretend, maybe it will go away. The third dominant response is to insist. Insist and shake your fist that somebody else has to fix it. It's always somebody else, of course. Lots of finger pointing goes on when we insist. Politicians are really good at this. The right points fingers at the left, the left points fingers at the right, and very few ever come up with real solutions that really fix big problems. God has a different response. It's also an I word. Incarnation is God's answer. He sent Jesus into this broken world, one person at a time, one act at a time. He brings wholeness to that which is broken. He starts with the human heart and begins restoring 
the person to wholeness. This is shalom. This is the peace of God. He will use whatever it takes to bring about radical transformation, never leaving us as we were, but making us more and more like Jesus in heart, in character, in mindset, in words, in attitudes, in tone. He doesn't take the easy paths. He doesn't cut corners. When Christians have taken the incarnational approach, mirroring what Jesus did and what God did through Jesus, watch what happens. Through the centuries, they have started hospitals around the world to care for the sick, and they have names that reflect things that Jesus did or people who were turned into wholeness by Jesus, like Good Samaritan Hospital, Good Shepherd Hospital. They've started schools and colleges all around the world. They devote their lives to translating the Bible, God's good news, and other languages so that other people can understand what we're talking about tonight. They launch humanitarian missions to feed the poor, adopt the abandoned, protect the unborn, to provide safe houses for the trafficked, to bring best practices to underserved parts of the world. Why? Why has all this happened? Because of Christmas. With the arrival of Jesus, hope penetrates the darkness, revealing God's ability to make the broken whole in Jesus. And the more we believe that and trust that, we move on the pathway to wholeness. And the more that we believe that and trust that, The things that we do and the things that we touch get put on the pathway toward wholeness. And God chose this process in order to involve you and me in the greatest story that has been unfolding for the past 2,000 years. What do you do with this? I have a couple of thoughts. One is, if when I talked about brokenness tonight, Something inside of you said, yeah, I identify with that. I've I've known too much brokenness in my life. Offer your brokenness to Jesus and ask him to do whatever it takes to make you whole. Watch what happens. It'll happen in his timing, never in ours. It just doesn't work that way. But it will happen. Second thought. Get on board wherever you see hope and light penetrating the darkness. When you see hope and light penetrating the darkness, know this, God is at work. And get on board and join that team and help that process go farther. With the arrival of Jesus, hope penetrates the darkness, revealing God's ability to make the broken whole in Jesus. Christmas tells us that God wants us to be whole. And he started the process to make it a reality. And he uses all of us in doing that work. So Christmas tells us that God has already moved. It's your move now. We're going to sing one final song and we're going to light candles and we're going to celebrate that the light has come and the light drives away darkness.